0: rolling. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for Tim. Thank you for the fact that we do have an incredible group of men just leading this church. I thank you for Matt. Um, I thank you for Jason. I thank you for Tad. Thank you for the fact that each of us can offer a unique set of just skills and wisdom and experience that you've allowed us to live the lives we have And then you've allowed us to use that experience to come here to this church, to be able to use it to glorify you and bless you, Jesus. I praise you for these men. I praise you for the people in this church. I thank you for the fact that you, Lord Jesus, and you alone created a a dynamic in this church where everybody just loves each other. Everybody here is at peace. Everybody enjoys each other's fellowship. And I just thank you, Lord, and I worship you and give you all the glory and honor and praise for that. praise you for the fact that people can enjoy each other in company, people can just love each other while we're here. And we just thank you. That's all credited to you, Lord. That's inspired by you, Jesus. That type of love only comes from you. And we worship you and exalt you and praise you in that lord jesus so father i do want to come before you today in your name and i pray your blessings over this message i pray that you'd fill us all with your spirit pray you give us a deeper just insight into who you are today lord i pray that you would speak to us this morning challenge us i pray you'd give us all a deeper desire to want to know you and to want to bless you to want to just forsake sin and do what we can to bless you and honor you lord jesus thank you for the fact that you are good thank you for the fact that you are kind thank you for all your provision, you lord jesus and you alone are our source and i praise you for the fact that you are everything our provision we have all things pertaining to life and godliness because of you so i pray your blessings over this morning fill me with your spirit show me what exactly you would want me to say so i can glorify you and serve you in all things we trust you with this morning thank you for this day and i ask all of this in jesus name amen well good morning all i'm glad you guys can make it how is everybody feeling this morning great grand that was awesome i like that uh well i'm glad you guys could be here today I mean, pretty much everybody in here knows us and is part of this church family. For those of you who are new here and you were looking forward to like meeting one of the senior pastors or something, I'm here to disappoint you. I am not he. I am Richard, though. I'm one of the elders here and I help thing. I just help do things in this church. I'll just say that. So as Jason mentioned that he was not going to be here today and Tad is off having adventures with his family, which, you know, you're entitled to do that every so often as a pastor who serves very diligently in our church. Jason asked if there was a message that you know, I had either brewing in my heart that could, I, I could present, or if he just wanted me to kind of follow along in our series and mark that we were doing. And I said, you know, there is a message that I, I've been thinking about lately that I've been kind of stewing over. Uh, so I threw it together this morning, and we are going to be reading primarily, or I'm going to be teaching on the topic of faith, which is a very broad word and covers a lot of ground, but the idea of faith. I mean, the, the pioneer verse that I like to use for faith comes out of Hebrews eleven 6. I'm only going to mention it, um, but I have another passage I'm going to be speaking of. So obviously, Hebrews eleven six teaches us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's who our God is. That's what essentially pleases or it's a weird theological way to put it triggers God. There's going to be those, how dare you? You can't do that. God's immutable. Uh, that's just how I word it. Cause I think it's accurate. Faith is the thing that gets God moving. It's what like uh, allows our walk with the Lord and allows the Holy spirits work in our life to both function in cooperation with each other. It's just how it works faith. But the deeper question I'm trying to examine, and that's been laid on my heart recently. And I think there's a lot of people in here who have been battling this. What exactly is faith and how in the world do you do? do faith what does it mean to make faith into a verb how do i like act on this thing faith how in the world does anybody do that i'm glad you asked because that was on my heart this morning so as we go in i'm going to jump into judges chapter six that is the primary passage for those of you who know what judges chapter six is great for those of you who don't it's the story of gideon he's one of my preferred and favorite old testament characters You'll see why. So if you jump to Judges chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 11, and we will go forward from there. Realistically, I'm actually going to touch on almost the entire chapter, but I want to start my teaching on Judges 6, chapter 11. So I apologize. I tried to throw together a PowerPoint that would help kind of visualize what I'm saying this morning, but then I ended up falling asleep. So it didn't happen. Judges chapter six, starting at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrapin's tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, Abi while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, "If I, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you." And he said, "I will wait until you come back." So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put, both, put the broth in a pot, and brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. <clears throat> then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And a fire rose from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Oprah of the Abiezrites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image, you shall cut it down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So that's the gist of what we're going to be teaching on. It's a lot of scripture to soak in, but I'm going to help break it down for you. So once again, I asked you guys the question, like, what is faith? That's a good place to start. Let me ask you guys. What is faith? What is it? Belief. Okay. Very good word, actually. What else is faith? Say what? Obedience. Sure. Faith spurs obedience. Definitely. Any other thoughts? Faith. Trust. Also a good one. So actually, pretty much all those words. I heard the words belief, obedience, trust. Chris. Yes, that is a Hebrew It does. That is a definition directly from Hebrews, actually. So all of those words are going to relate to what I'm talking about today because, I mean, they all encompass the same idea. So faith, it's belief. Uh, If you try to apply the word faith or at least read the word faith from the New Testament, you get the word pistis. Trust me, you can ask Joe. I'm going to botch a lot of Greek stuff here. But the basis of the Greek definition for the word pistis is conviction of the truth of anything, comma, belief. Conviction of the truth of anything or belief, okay? Okay. So if faith is belief, what is belief? What does it mean to believe? How does somebody like do that? How do we actually make this happen? So as I was studying this passage and as I've been walking with the Lord, uh, I tried to figure out how exactly does somebody act out their faith? What does it mean to like do this faith thing? How do you act out belief? How do I actually engage that? What do I, what do I need to do to use my will for this? I decided to use our good friend, you know, Webster and their dictionary definition of belief. What is belief? It is a state or habit of mind in which trust or confidence is placed in some person or thing. Still kind of didn't fully answer it for me. How does somebody do it? It's like, hey, you just believe. How do you do that? You have faith. How do you have faith? Well, you just believe. How in the world does somebody do it? It's like a never ending cycle. As I'm examining my walk with the Lord, as I'm studying our characters in the Old Testament and New, I'm starting to figure out what exactly is belief and how does somebody do it? For starters, to believe, Number one, do your feelings have to match up with it? No, not necessarily. They don't. It's good if they do. That's always helpful. Do circumstances in life have to match what your beliefs say? No, absolutely not. What does it boil down to? The big thing I'm trying to harp on everybody and the thing I'm trying to really drive home is this simple fact right here. Acting on faith is a choice. Acting on faith is a choice. Believing is a choice. How do you faith? It's a choice. That's what this whole thing boils down to, a choice. You engage you your will, you use it as a choice. How does that actually work in practicality? That's where I brought in our friend Gideon and all of his courage and might and all his humanity. So let's go back to the story in Acts, not Acts, sorry. Judges, thank you. Judges chapter six. I'm gonna start in verse 11 and start breaking it down. So once again, verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrapin's tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. to fun fact why it says that, in order to hide it from Midianites. I'll touch more on that here in a moment. Number 12, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So for starters, it's interesting. The Lord is there for a purpose. He doesn't just randomly spontaneously show up in his sovereign will. You can argue that theologically. We'll get, we're will we not going to go there this morning. There's a reason why the Lord just manifested all of a sudden, why he just showed up and they, of all people, decided to speak to Gideon. I find it interesting how when the Lord shows up and he finds the person he's appointing to be a priest or to be the person to deliver his people, so on and so forth. He starts with a word. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. <clears throat> he gave a promise to Gideon, essentially. The Lord shows up and the first thing he does is speak. He says a promise. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. You'd think that'd be great. You'd think that Gideon would just bring down a worship and say, this is awesome, Lord. You're the greatest thing ever. Wow. Life is good, but Gideon's response is followed up in verse 13. Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. As much as some people would love for scripture to just hide, like to show the nice, pretty parts of people, you know, as in like, Lord shows up and gives Gideon a promise. And then Gideon just says, you are awesome, Lord. I am going to worship you and praise you. I'm just going to believe everything you said and go do mighty things. Now, it shows his humanity here. Gideon's first like knee-jerk response almost is, if you're really with us, why in the world is all this happening? What is going on? So why is it that Gideon even had to say that in the first place? Why would he be so driven? Like when you, when someone's life is full of something, you know, it's like Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is actually going on internally, whatever you're experiencing in your heart and your mind will actually flow out. In this case, this is inner turmoil he has is flowing so heavily that the first thing he says is boom, this. Why, are, where are you going? If you're with this, why is this all happening? So, what exactly is getting experiencing? That makes him want to feel this way. That makes him respond the way he did. Uh, first of all, instead of just saying, you're awesome, Lord. I'm just going to praise you and worship you. And I'm just swearing myself to you. Like, I'm swearing my allegiance to you. I'm going to do whatever you say. He intentionally made the choice to say, why are you with us? That was his choice. He did that. Nowhere does it say, angel of the Lord appeared and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And God sovereignly forced Gideon to say this. He made the choice to react the way he did. He chose to say this, it's almost like, like a lament. He chose to essentially complain. He made that choice to do that. That was his response. But if you go back to Judges 6 again, and we're going to start back at the beginning of the chapter. So I know I'm kind of like all out of order with Judges, but I put this structure for a reason. So go back to Judges 6, and we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. And we'll explain and like look into Gideon's life in order to see what it is he's facing. So I'll read it and also break it down as I'm going. Judges 6, verse 1, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian or the hand of Midian for seven years. Right off the bat, you find it, like Hebrew history and like the Israelites have always had this history of up and down and up and down. Is it, hey, we're faithful to the Lord, we are doing everything he tells us to. Life is great. Life is grand, things are good. They also have the opposite of that, where they decide to do things in their own, what's right in their own sight. They decide to rebel against the Lord. They decide to say, We're just going to do things our way. We want to forsake the Lord. So right off the bat, verse one tells us, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Gideon was living in a culture surrounded by people who decided to forsake the Lord, who decided to live according to their own terms, who decided to do things their way as opposed to God's way. For those of you who have studied god's wrath or you've been around when we taught on romans chapter one which teaches that god's wrath isn't he sits in heaven and throws thunderbolts down on you that might be like greek mythology that's not how we do it in christianity it's not how the one true god does god's wrath is i love you and i want to honor you i want to protect you and i want to prosper you and not harm you jesus himself said if thief comes to steal kill and destroy i've come to give you life and to give it abundantly so god's will is i am placing my protection over you If you don't want my way, if you don't want to do things on my terms, if you don't want my will and you want to go and do things according to your own terms and do your will, I will let you go about your way. I will go about your way. God is a respecter of free will and he'll like essentially take his hand off and say, you guys, you can go do whatever you want. I will let you go about your way. I am gracious and I'm compassionate and I am more than willing to receive you back when you want to return, when you want to come to me, but you want to go another way. That's what God's wrath looks like. That's what God's will is. So when it says God delivered them, essentially, that's what we believe and that's what I believe it means to have God deliver somebody. He just lets you go about your way and lets you step out of his zone of protection, out of his zone of provision, out of his will, and you go and face whatever wrath is coming upon you. In this case, that's what happened. Children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and they decided to go their way. He was surrounded by a society which you're either for God or you're against him. So my argument is, Gideon is living in a society full of people who are anti-God, pro-self. It says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay. What does it mean to do evil? What is it? Any thoughts? Sin, obviously. That's the number one obvious. It's a very clear answer. Yeah. Sin, it just means I'm going to do things my way. At its base level, sin is any violation or any disobedience or anything contrary to what God has ordained. You can find sin clearly laid out in the scripture. There are times when the Holy spirit gives you specific leading. That's not clearly defined in scripture. If you choose to rebel or choose not to obey that you could very well be walking into sin. Now it's obvious that when you do something directly contrary to God's word, yeah, you're sinning. So my argument here is that when it says, or when the Lord says they did evil, I think it's very obvious that he's living in a culture full of people who decided to do things their way. They don't want God's way anymore. They've decided to forsake him. We want to choose our own way. We want to fall into sin. We want this, which means we don't want you, Lord. We want to do things our way. We want to fight for our rights. We want to, you know, celebrate pride of all things. Ah, pride is a sin in case anybody hasn't recognized that. So they are going on doing life their way. They're living life pro self anti God. That's essentially what it, the culture that Gideon is living in. That's where he's at. I'm surprised. I mean, I'm, guess we don't live in any sort of society that's also like that nowadays, where everybody's just pro-self. We want nothing to do with God. We want to turn away from him. Gideon was somebody who was still faithful to the Lord. He still wanted to honor the Lord, although he had doubts. He had some inner turmoil, which as we unfold more of Judges, you'll see why. So that was Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I'll keep going. Verse 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains so number 1 you have Gideon man who's faithful to god i'm sure there were other servants of the lord still in this culture two you have god's people who have now been handed over essentially to the enemy <sighs> they decided to step them outside of god's will which means god's enemies or the enemies of god's people have now stepped into the land they've invaded the land And they're causing the Israelites to live in humiliation and in fear and in defeat. I would say they likely lived in fear because their enemies had come in and conquered them. Once again, as we study Israelite and Hebrew history, you see that when people are in God's will, living in obedience to him, as in following God's decree and the things he's commanded, we see that God allows them to prosper. Now, conquest is not a thing in the New Testament. It's not what we do as Christians nowadays. For some reason, it was back then. He would have them fight battles. He would have them defend themselves, defend themselves, and they would prevail against their enemies. In this case, they've decided to go their own way, so they don't have that same strength. They don't have that same prevalence against their enemies. They don't have that same protection. So now, not only are they living in an anti-god culture, or are they are they are they an anti-god culture? They're also living in humiliation and fear and defeat because at one point they were this very like powerful, proud. Hey, we're doing things. This is great. We're conquering our enemies. Now they're not now they're just being shown for who they really are, which is like, Hey, you guys are living in sin. You're living according to your will, which means you don't have any strength on your own. You don't have any abilities apart from what God has given you. And they're experiencing that humiliation, that fear, that defeat. They're, I mean, they're so impoverished and defeated that they have to go live in dens and caves. They have to go live in the mountains. They don't have the same freedoms in society that normal people would. They're just running off to the mountains because they have to live in fear and hide from their enemies. So Gideon's amongst the people who are anti-God. They don't want anything to do with them. They're also living in a constant state of fear, turmoil, defeat, humiliation. I don't know how many of us experience that on a regular basis, but it's a struggle. It happens nowadays. Let's go back into verse three and four, which says, So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. So even then, yes, God's people are living in rebellion against God, anti-God culture. Their enemies have come in and defeated them. They don't have any sorts of like freedoms or liberties. They're forced to go hide and remain in the mountains, essentially. Now, anytime they do do some sort of work Anytime they do have some sort of labor, the enemies just come in and snatch it all the way. So they're struggling to provide. They're struggling to make things work. They're struggling to have, you know, a, just a good peaceful life because it, a good peaceful life doesn't exist outside of God's will. Any efforts they make to try to make it financially, economically just get snatched away from them. So they're struggling. Breaking <clears throat> it down, God's people are living in fear. They're living in turmoil. They're living in anxiety they're living in economic financial struggles you have one person trying to live in God's will while the rest of the culture is not any resonation with those kinds of struggles anybody in here you don't have to raise your hand this is more hypothetical anybody in here facing some sort of discouragement from the enemy anybody in here facing some sort of anxiety driven by fear of the future fear because of finances fear because of economic circumstances anything of that sort are you facing persecution maybe persecution because you're trying to do God's will now I'm going to throw out a quick disclaimer just because you're facing difficult times doesn't mean that you are directly living in sin and living anti-God there are some times when because we live in a fallen and broken world that just happens difficult times will come and fall upon us Jesus himself said the rain falls on the just and on the unjust which means it doesn't matter who you are you can be living a wicked sinful lifestyle you can be living fully obediently to the Lord you're going to face trials and struggles one way or another. It happens to everybody. Nobody is exempt from it. So the same point that I'm trying to drive home here is how does somebody have faith in the middle of all these trying and difficult circumstances? How does somebody do it? Once again, same point that I'm trying to drive home here. Acting on faith is a choice it's a choice. You engage your will. You do it. Despite what your circumstances around you are saying or doing, despite what your feelings are telling you, we live in a culture that likes to rely pretty much entirely on feeling, you act on faith. It's a choice. <clears throat> so once again, we saw Gideon's response when the angel of the Lord, which was the Lord, essentially, Lord shows up, says, mighty man of valor, go forth, or I brought you up out of Egypt. And then Gideon's response is just like any human response. I think most of us would have. I know I've had this at times where we're just doubting, where we're discouraged. We're, God, are you really there? Why, what's, how can you say that you're here when I'm in the middle of these circumstances right now? Something else I'd like to touch on is, yes, you have Gideon's humanity showing here, but I also want to mention the fact, or I want to describe what faith is not. So we give out a lot of good definitions and ideas as to what faith is. Yes, it's belief, it's obedience, so on and so forth. But what faith is not, well, let's, let's, let me ask you guys, what is the opposite of faith? I think I heard doubt. Fear. Yes, fear, definitely. Doubt, of course. Unbelief. Yeah, anti-belief, lack of belief, for sure. <clears throat> the opposite of faith, uh, I kind of sum it up in three, these three words, and this is not, you know, it's not just this specific list. It's doubt, discouragement, fear, most of which are emotions, some of which are choice, but doubt, discouragement, and fear. For those of you who don't know how Satan operates and how Satan functions, is his goal in life is obviously, number one, keep anybody from surrendering their life to Christ. Keep anybody from being born again so Satan can keep your soul, snatch you up, and take you to hell with him. Satan's number one agenda is that. Next to that, if you already are born again, if you've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Satan's goal is also to hinder God's agenda and prevent God's kingdom from advancing as much as possible. Meaning if he can get into a believer's mind and heart and mess with them and cause them to be discouraged, cause them to live in fear, cause them to believe lies, cause them to believe anything contrary to the truth, he will handicap or hinder your ability to advance God's kingdom and to move forward in your walk with God. He will hinder your ability to advance into God's will to advance God's kingdom, he'll try to stop you from bringing glory to God as much as possible. Even though you may be saved and you're still gonna be in in glory with the Lord at the end of all things, he will try to stop you from advancing God's kingdom as much as possible. Good example I like to look at from that is just in Matthew chapter 14, story of Peter walking on the water. You can go there if you want to, but I'm just gonna read it briefly. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side while he sent the multitudes away And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Uh, any fans of the chosen series in here? Yay, me too. Great. Me and Nikki recently got into it and we love it. If you saw the last season, you saw they actually you know, portrayed this in film format. They added some things that could, may or may not be true about Peter and his wife and their struggles and so on. But the point is, it was a good depiction. I liked it. I thought it was a good depiction of Peter walking on the water and showing his struggles. But the point is, in this story, what did Peter do prior to serving Christ? What was his occupation? Fishermen. He knows the water. He knows how to swim. He knows how to do all things. You know, he knows what to expect when boisterous storms come across. Jesus is walking on the water. He says, "If it's really you, Lord, cause me to come to you. Call me to come to you." He says, "Come, sure." Jesus. Peter's walking on the water. He's locked on the Christ. When he's focused on Christ, he is walking on water. A miracle is happening. Life is good. Things are great. He's doing the supernatural. As soon as he starts looking at the winds and the waves around him, as soon as he takes his focus off of Jesus, it says it here when. Yeah, in verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Remember how I said Satan causes us to fear? It's one of Satan's ploys. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Uh, I remember one of the pastors from the Brooklyn Tavern teaching on this, and it's always stuck with me. I love it. Peter was in his element. Peter was doing the thing he knows how to do best. He's the master of the sea. He's like a fisherman. Yet he's still... Suffered a trial. He had to experience a trial that completely turned his world upside down, completely flipped everything he knew how to do. And he still had to cry out in fear, saying, Lord, save me. It just goes to show that inevitably, no matter how well and how smooth life is going, no matter how mature you are, you will still face trials that will turn your world upside down. It's just going to happen. But do we not serve a God that is gracious, that is good to us, that is compassionate? We serve a God that loves us. Now, if that's not how you see God, please talk to us. We will be glad to help you see who the Lord really is. Satan loves to distort your view of God and keep you from actually following him, keep you from seeing who he is accurately. But we serve a God who longs for us to follow his will. He delights in us and he wants to bless us as we follow him. He wants to give us everything we need to accomplish his will. In this case, even when you face those trials that completely flip your world upside down, he wants us to rely on him and cry out and saying, Lord, save me. It's just a simple prayer. Lord, save me. He wants us to depend on him. So that's what faith is not. Doubt fear, discouragement, more or less taking your eyes off of Christ, trying to do things according to your own way, trying to rely on your circumstances around you. So that's what faith isn't. But that's not what we're, entirely where we're about here. I know I've deviated a long way from Judges. Let's go back to Judges. <clears throat> back to the story of Gideon. Let's pick up in verse 13. So we have the angel of the Lord came and sat on the of the tree, presents himself to Gideon. Gideon questions him. So Gideon's response is, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. So kind of, you, you see a better picture of why Gideon is experiencing what he's experiencing, why he's feeling the way he's feeling. He's in a culture that's just opposed to God, economic turmoil, so on and so forth, <clears throat> So a funny thing about Gideon, this angel of the Lord appears. We all clearly know that it's God. If you look at the, take a closer look at some of the language that's used here. <clears throat> Verse twelve says, "The angel of the Lord." I don't know how your translations have it wrote down, but if you look at that really closely, "angel of the Lord," L O R D, capital letters, appeared to him. The Lord is with you. So it's the same thing. I'm reading from the New King James. I, I'm assuming a lot of your translations do the same thing. Maybe some of you have like the NASP or like the extra spiritual version, ESV, something like that. <clears throat> Point is, they should ideally be all caps. Referring to Lord in all caps refers to Yahweh or Jehovah in Hebrew, which is the one true God. That is Jehovah. That's God. So clearly we know that the Lord is speaking to him here. Verse 12 says, "Angels of the Lord appeared. And then if you look at verse 13, Gideon's response. Oh, my Lord. Lowercase. My translation shows entirely lowercase, L-O-R-D. In Hebrew, and again, I'm not a Hebrew expert here, but this is enough you know, kindergarten Hebrew to get the gist across. Lowercase L, referencing the word Adonai, which is, it can be used in multiple ways. Yes, Adonai is a word that we use to recognize who God is, to worship him, but Adonai can also be a respect for man or respect for humanity, as opposed to respect for God. In this case, the Lord shows up, Gideon is saying, oh, my Lord, lowercase, as in more kind of respect for man, respect for humanity. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. So there's two different words there. Oh, my Lord, lowercase. If the Lord, uppercase, is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles and so on and so forth? So we know that Gideon is a servant of the Lord. He recognizes and knows he has that knowledge of who God is. He even hears God's word directly. Yet he's having questions. He's having doubts about God's word, doubts about... God's character. Has anybody in their life ever experienced that? I know I have. I know it's something I have to continually pray against and pray, Lord, just keep me faithful to you. Keep us faithful to you. I want to believe you and I just choose to believe you, even though things in life are not matching up. He's having his doubts about who the Lord is. So he responds by saying, oh Lord, if this is who you are, if you're saying that you're the angel of God, why has all this happened? Verse 14. Again, Hebrew, not Hebrews. Judges 6, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him uppercase that the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So it's almost like, Oh, how cute. Like Gideon says, Lord, why are you doing this? And yeah, that's nice. Go in your might. go in my might. do what I say is essentially what he says. He says, yeah, I know you're experiencing this, but my commands essentially. The Lord just kind of looks past that. He doesn't, he's not like ignoring it, but he basically says, this is what you need. Gives him a command, gives him a directive. This is what needs to happen. And then in verse 15, I don't know how your translation say it, but mine says this. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, is there a difference in that word, Lord, that you can see? My translation says capital L, lowercase o-r-d, oh, my Lord, same word, Adonai. But in this case, he's changed to, oh, my Lord, as in reverence or respect for God. So we go from, we know this is the Lord, Yahweh speaking, and he goes, well, I don't know that this is really you. Now this is, oh Lord, oh Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So he's using the word uppercase L, with all the rest lowercase letters. It's the same word, like I said. We know that this is God, right? That's speaking to him. What does it mean when you're talking to God? What's another word for that? Prayer. That's essentially what prayer is. For those of you who don't know, prayer at its very base level is: I am talking with God. I'm communing with Him. I'm engaging with Him. More or less, getting is talking with God. He's praying right now. I mean, he's speaking to the Lord directly, but it's a form of prayer. He's speaking and interacting directly with God. He has his questions and his doubts, and we understand why. Part to your fa- part of your faith journey, part of your faith adventure, is even in the midst of your difficult circumstances, even in the midst of the turmoil you're facing. When you enter into the Lord's presence, i.e. when you engage Lord and choose to pray and choose to continue to press into him, he didn't just run away and say, I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to join the rest of this anti-God culture. Goodbye. He chose to engage God. He chose to continue to press in. As you're experiencing your doubts, as you're experiencing your turmoil, as you're experiencing your anxiety, your worries, whatever it may be, if you continue to press in and engage the presence of the Lord, he reveals himself more and more to you. He shows himself more true to you. You start to experience his presence more. As you see, there's like a slow progression here. We see that this is the Lord, Yahweh speaking to him. He says, Lord, lowercase, Adonai. But as he's more engaging in me now, he says, Lord, respect for God. He's To me, it seems like Gideon's perspective on God is starting to become more and more clear. The more he presses in, the more he engages. In my experience, I've come to find that, and I think many people here as well, even if I'm facing difficult circumstances, which involves a choice. Pressing into the Lord, engaging him in prayer, continuing to seek his face and do the things that spur God's presence in your life, allows God to reveal himself more to you, allows you to see him more clearly. Doesn't always happen overnight, like get in here, but the more you engage God, despite what your circumstances around you are saying, the more he shows himself true to you, the more you start to see him clearly. Going back to my main point, acting on faith is a choice choosing what he wants despite your feelings despite your doubts despite circumstances lord i know these things are happening i'm still choosing to engage you i'm still going to choose to trust you and as you do that you can see gideon is starting to see the lord more clearly it's not perfect yet he hasn't like completely understood this is who god is just yet because as we go further into the passage verse 16 and the lord said to him surely i will be with you and you shall defeat the midianites as one man verse 17 then he said to him If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Why was it that Gideon wanted the Lord to show him or the angel of the Lord to show him a sign? I mean, I think it's kind of clear. I asked that a little hypothetically, but I think he still, he wants to serve the Lord. He is yearning to do God's will. He just wants that extra confirmation because what is it the Lord has told him to do here? It's all on this passage. What's the Lord commanded him to do? Go defeat an army. Anybody in here defeat an army lately? I know I haven't. Any of us lead any armies recently? I, I mean, if you did, great. I'd love to talk to you, but I don't think any of us have been any military commanders recently. <clears throat> like I said, if you have, great. That'd be, you'd be a great person to talk to. But you're this guy who is, if you look back at verse 11, angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrapin's tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash. Moving on a little further, while, the son of, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. He's in there just threshing around wheat. That's all he's doing. And he's trying to do it to hide it from the Midianites because as we saw, even when you have some sort of labor or progress, the Midianites and your enemies just come and sweep it all away. doesn't matter how hard you work. Enemy comes in and take it away, takes it away. I don't know if any of us have felt that way before where, Lord, it doesn't matter how hard I try and how hard I do things. Enemy keeps taking all my stuff away. It keeps taking away all my prosperity. It keeps taking away all my success. All the fruit of my labor just keeps going away and it keeps getting wasted or so on and so forth. <clears throat> but that's Gideon. Now he's saying, I want you to go from wheat thresher, Gideon, to leading a conquering army, Gideon. I'm not a guy that struggles with anxiety, but that would cause me to... Yeah, I would be anxious if he told me that. That I would just be like, holy cow, okay. Do I really trust the Lord this much? I mean, I know God's great now. all. I know he's, yeah, you deliver us from the Hebrews or from the Egyptians, sorry. Uh, you deliver us from the Egyptians, but yeah, can I really do that? Am I capable of leading an army? The first thing God did was give him a promise. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. When God calls you a mighty man of valor, or when God gives you identity, is there any other name or identity that you can take that's greater than that? Do we have anything better than what God has called us? No, we don't. <clears throat> when God calls us his children, when God says, you are somebody who's capable of doing all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you believe something that's different from that, what are you believing? You're believing a lie. You're believing something contrary to what God has said, and you are engaged in sin because you're believing something that's anti-truth. I that's a lie. The simple fix for that is you repent from that lie and embrace what God said about you. Even though you don't feel it, even though circumstances around you don't match that, you still believe what God has said about you. So point being, Gideon is still asking for a sign. He Says, Lord, show me this is who you are. <clears throat> if I have found favor in your sight, then let me do this. So he's still talking with God. He's engaging him with prayer. He's making that choice, again, choice, to continue to engage the Lord because if he didn't have any desire at all, to find God's will. If Gideon was not someone who was going to be faithful to the Lord, somebody who is not going to walk in obedience, I don't think he would have done this. I don't think he would have chose to say, you know what? I'm just going to, okay, if this is really what you're telling me to do, and this is really where you're wanting me to go, please give me a sign. Please show me some sort of sign that will confirm this. I want to go do your will. My heart's desire is to do the thing you're telling me to do, but I'm asking for a sign. Personally, I don't think there's any crime or any sin associated with asking God for some sort of confirmation in your prayer times. How many of us have asked God for some sort of like confirmation some sort of Lord, I want to know this is your will. I want to do this thing. Can you please confirm it either through circumstances, through a feeling in this case, let me bring this offering to you and then show me that you're the Lord. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not convinced that that's something contrary to what God desires. When you just choose to act in doubt, I think that's something sinful. But when you say, Lord, can you please just give me that confirmation Please give me some sort of sign that confirms this is you. So once again, harping on verse 17, Gideon says, if now I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you. <clears throat> we can see that Gideon was being honest about his feelings. We can see that Gideon wasn't trying to put on a face. He wasn't trying to say, you know, as soon as the angel of the Lord popped up, spoke to Gideon, who's out there just threshing wheat, Gideon didn't just say, oh, yes, God is faithful. Hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. Okay, is it Sunday over now? Great, I can get back to my life. He didn't just say that. He chose to say, Lord, this, if you're really God, what, what in the world, Lord? Why, why is this happening? Why are we living in these circumstances? Show me that this is you. Please give me some sort of sign. He was being honest about his feelings, which is a, another, It's another essential point to prayer. <laughs> there is no point on trying to fake it in your prayer time. There's no use in that. It's not going to be prevalent. That is not faith. Trying to be or put on this facade that is not honest is not going to get you any progress in prayer. It's not going to get you any progress in your walk with the Lord. But we've already established the fact that Gideon is praying. He's interacting with God right here. The kinds of prayers that God really wants to see are more in a reflection of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You don't have to go there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simply put, to confess your sin means that you agree with God on this matter. I agree with you. I'm confessing my sin. This thing here is sin. Gideon wasn't trying to hide anything. He wasn't trying to be dishonest about anything. He says, yeah, Lord, uh, you're you're great. I I really believe that you are who you say you are. I'm going to do the things you told me because I believe it. No, he was just saying, if you are who you say you are, why are we facing these circumstances? He was being honest. So in your prayers, honesty is essential. Honesty is key. Honesty is, I agree, Lord. I don't believe you. I don't, I'm struggling with this right now. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what the past has shown me. This is what I'm experiencing, God. <clears throat> it is certainly helpful to recognize that and affirm what's going on in your heart. It may be sinful, but if it's sinful, confess it before the Lord. Bring it out. Say, so I agree with you. This is sinful, God. I want to change from that. And I want to confess it to you because when we confess our sin in repentance, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Show me a sign that it's you. Show me that this is you. Show me this is what your will is. This is what you want for me. Do any of us in here think that God is really opposed to making his presence known to us? We serve a God that wants to reveal himself. He wants to make himself known, especially when we're facing difficult trials. There are times even Jesus himself said, Father, why have you forsaken me? That's how he was experiencing things. That's how he was feeling. Doesn't mean God wants us to remain there and stay there. He wants us to continue to press in. For those who are earnest and want to press into the Lord, that's the kind of person God honors. The person that's willing to be honest. The person that's willing to trust him. And again, acting on faith is a choice. The person that's willing to choose that, despite what your circumstances around you are saying. Despite what your feelings are saying. Despite what other people are saying. He wants us to choose to stay faithful to him. He wants us to choose him and to push into his will for our life. I don't see any harm in being honest, confessing your things before the Lord, submitting yourself to him and then asking god please make yourself known please confirm that this is you please show me that you are real in this show me that this is your will give me some confirmation i don't see anything wrong with that continue to push into the lord do what he says so carrying on he's still engaging in the lord despite all of the circumstances to point anything that's going on around him so let's go jump ahead to verse 22 Judges chapter 6, 22. Now, Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, all uppercase, Yahweh. Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, I'll ask the Lord of God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord. So before that, Gideon says, okay, Lord, if this is really you, let me bring you this sacrifice. Don't leave from here." And then the Lord says, sure, go ahead. Gideon goes in, prepares the young goat, prepares the meat, pours out the broth, so on and so forth. Fire comes out of the rock. And Gideon says, he, well, it says, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, talking to, this, talking to God, essentially, and said, Lord, a God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. What's the Lord's immediate reaction to that? Aha, filthy sinner. I told you it was me. Lightning bolts. No, that's not how God responds to us. That's not how God responds to us. What is God's response to him in verse 23? Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Peace be with you. You shall not fear you will not die, or you do not fear, you shall not die. If you don't know this as your God, something's off in your mind. If you don't know that God is, as Second Corinthians verse 1 says, Second Corinthians specifically chapter 1 verse 3, we serve the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If you don't see that God is the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, there is something wrong in your heart. There's something off. And that's, a, I mean, that's kind of typical for a lot of people who've had bad experiences, people who've been through trauma in their background, people who have experienced very dark and depressing and damaging and cruel circumstances. It's kind of expected. And so it's typical for that kind of thing to happen. God does not want you to stay there. When we're facing these circumstances, when we see God for who he is, he is the God that wants to offer that comfort. He wants to give you that assurance. You're not going to die. I've called you to do this very tremendous thing. Please do not fear. Peace be with you peace it's a peace of god that surpasses all understanding it's a peace that only the lord can supply it's a peace that is known to no other no no other place in the world or in existence other than what the lord provides us we have a culture that tries to manufacture peace and they try to say we do these things and we're experiencing joy because of it you find those same people that are making those claims you look at their lives personally they're depressed they're miserable they're on psycho you know psychotropic medications they're seeing psychotherapists they just can't keep their life together they're trying basically to keep themselves from killing themselves because if you leave them on their own, they probably will. I don't wish that on anybody, but that's those people. A genuine peace in your heart can only come from the Lord. Can only come from it. He's the only one that can supply it. In the midst of your difficult circumstances, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of everything you're facing, He's the only one that can create that peace. Or deposit that peace in your heart because he is the father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's who the God we serve is. That's who he is. So I finish off in verse 25 where it says, no, sorry, verse 24. After the Lord says that it says in verse 24, so Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord of peace or the Lord is peace to this day. It is still an offering of the Ebayez writes. <clears throat> Last thing I want to harp on for everybody It's only after the Lord revealed himself that Gideon had the strength to push forward and do what he was commanded to do. The last thing I want to mention and describe here is what is it that you are placing your faith in? What is it you're trying to depend on? What are you you trying to see as your source? What are you trying to see as your thing that's going to provide for you? What is it you're trying to place your trust or your faith in? Is it something that's other than Christ? Is it something that's other than what the Lord has said? Because Gideon is honestly trying to push into the Lord here. He's trying to persevere. He's trying to follow God's will. He's struggling, and he's being honest about those struggles. But he says, no, I'm just going to push past that. I want to know you, Lord. I want to see you. Eventually, the Lord says, hey, I'm going to honor that. You demonstrated your faith. I'm going to reveal myself to you now. And now, because you've seen me, because you've developed your walk with me further, you're going to have the strength to push forward. What is it you're placing your faith in? Are you placing your faith in your own abilities, your own strength?" Are you placing your faith in your own, you know, like your job? Are you placing your faith in circumstances? Are you placing your faith in money? Are you placing your faith in a relationship? Are you trying to have a legitimate need in your heart satisfied from anything that is other than Christ? Anything at all. If you're trying to do that, that is what you would call an idol. <clears throat> That's what you'd call something that I'm trying to have a thing in my life fulfilled. I'm trying to have a genuine need in my life or in my heart fulfilled by something that is other than Christ. Jesus himself wants to be that inner fulfillment. He wants to be that one that satisfies you. He's the only one that's capable of satisfying. you. He's the only one that is, like I've said before, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's the only one, if you read Ephesians chapter one, and then as chapter one branches off into chapter two, it talks about Jesus is seated in a supreme position of authority, far above all principalities, powers, my dominion, every name that is named. Jesus is the only one who holds all supreme authority in all of creation. He's the only one that is capable of reading your heart and supplying those deep inner longings and needs that you have in your heart. And he's the one that wants to be there for you. But the thing that prevents him from getting there is our own choice, our own will. If I am choosing to not believe in God, if I am choosing to not engage my will, if I am choosing not to trust him, I cut off God's supply in my life. Again, Jesus himself expressed stories about how people saying, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Be honest about your feelings. Be honest about your emotions. Say, Lord, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. I'm just trying to be honest, but I want to know you more. And so I'm just going to choose it. I'm going to choose to do the things you told me to. I'm going to choose to obey you and follow what you've called me to. I'm asking that you make yourself known. Make yourself real to me. Please show me who you are in the midst of this. Let me see you. I, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I just want you to please confirm it. <clears throat> make the choice to follow him. Make the choice to believe he is who he said he is because we know that God is not a liar. With him, all things are possible. Uh, Hebrews teaches us that with God, it's impossible to lie, along with other places in the scripture. But God is faithful. That's what it means to be faithful. He never fails us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's made all these promises, and he wants to be that inner fulfilling. He wants to be the one that fulfills those inner longings in our heart. That's who Christ is, and that's what he does. And so once you, I'm not going to go any further into it, but once you finish off Judges chapter 6, yeah, Gideon's still facing some fear, but he goes on, conquers armies, does great things for the Lord, but it's only by the strength and the supply that God provided for him. So again, the message I'm trying to drive home is, well, it's kind of in First John chapter four. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Fear fears has not been made perfect in love. Those of us who are battling fear, those of us who are battling circumstances, those who are trying to fight against a cultural tide that is anti-God and trying to stand up for truth, continue to press in for the Lord. Your faith is a choice. That's where it all boils down to. God wants to supply that need. He wants to give you courage. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you everything you need. But once again, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, the verse that I started on at the beginning of this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Is your heart's desire to seek the Lord? Is your heart's desire to obey his will, to trust him? To want to see him it may be difficult i'm not saying it's going to be easy but to make that choice to choose god to follow his will to trust his character once again it all boils down to a choice that's what pleases god and he delights when his people believe who he is in faith he delights when we follow him amen amen that's all i got for you this morning let me go ahead and say this is pretty much the time when we're going to start setting up the kids room so if anybody wants to set up chairs tables and so on for the kids room for lunch please go. feel free to go ahead and step out and do that. Otherwise, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to do what we've been doing these past few months, actually. Open up the remainder of our time here in the main sanctuary room, I guess, if you want to call it. We're going to have a season of prayer for anybody that wants to come up, share their burdens, share some requests, and we'll pray. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump on that train. Lord, I thank you for this afternoon. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the fact that you love us, Lord Jesus you long to prosper us and not harm us. You are good. You are kind. You are true. You love us even when in our hearts, we're not feeling like you are good. We're not thinking or experiencing your goodness. You still love us, Lord Jesus. And you want us to know who you are. And you want us to just forsake any of the lies, anything contrary to who you are. We want us to embrace you and, for, and just seek you and follow your will for our lives, Lord Jesus. I do want to pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would show us bless you today, Lord Jesus. How do we stay faithful to you? How do we just make that choice and say, okay, I choose it. I'm yours, Lord. I believe you. I'm just going to choose it. I don't care what life says. I don't care what anybody else says. I'm yours. Give us the strength, the courage, everything to do that. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd reveal in our hearts anything that needs to be brought to the surface, anything that needs to be exposed, anything that needs to be prayed for, anything that needs to be done so we can advance in your will. We trust you, Lord, and I thank you for who you are. I thank you in advance for all the ways you're going to move. Thank you for the things that you are going to allow us to do that would let us bless you and serve you and use our lives to bring glory and praise your name. I thank you for these people here today. Thank you for the fact that you have created a church full of people that want to bless you and want to love you, yet despite our circumstances and struggles, you still love us, Lord. You are still good and kind to us, and you show your generous, kind-hearted spirit to us, Lord. So I pray your blessings over this time. Show us how to seek your face in prayer. We ask for your presence right now, Lord Jesus, and I pray this in your name. Amen.